invite you to listen carefully and listen well to the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the prophet Isaiah from the second chapter of that book, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then from Psalm 130. <coughs> Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, the one that we call Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. <clears throat> well, Advent is, in many ways, a season of waiting. Waiting, 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 waiting. None of us are very good at waiting, are we? Uh, if you want a great illustration of this, it happened yesterday in my house. Uh, this is a great time of year for us. We celebrate Thanksgiving with my Aunt Joyce and Uncle Bob and cousins Anne Marie, Claire, and Emma, they travel from all over the place to come and to be with us. And we enjoy Thanksgiving together. And then we celebrate Claire's birthday, my middle cousin. And then after that, we celebrate Christmas with them. So we pack a lot into a couple days. And last night, we celebrated a birthday. And then we had Christmas and exchanged gifts with one another. And... Um, Without a doubt, the one who had the best time of, of all of us was Spencer, who was two and a half, you know, and she understood what was going on, and she realized that she was the youngest, so she got to open the present first. 
She had a little pile of presents, so she tore into her present and was very happy with that and immediately was going to set in on the next one. But we said, no, no, Spencer, you have to wait. You have to wait, and everyone else will go around, and you'll have another turn. Well, this was, this was not what she had envisioned, but she was cooperative. She also realized that it worked out a lot better if she actually went and helped everyone else open their presents too, right? So she would say, is it your turn yet? And then if it was the person's turn, she'd say, oh, what could it be? And then they'd get done opening their present, and she'd say, is it my turn yet? No, you have to wait. But she also figured out that if she just unloaded everybody's packages really quickly, she wouldn't even give the things to them. She'd just set them on the floor one after another. It would come around to her time a little quicker. Waiting. You know, a, a couple weeks ago, we were um, fortunate when the kids were out of school for two days to go to Lexington, Kentucky, to the Kentucky Horse Park. It was a trip that I'd made as a kid with my grandparents, and now I got to make with my children going with their grandparents, and it was a lot of fun. They got to see the horses. And it was absolutely thrilling and wonderful, but you might imagine on a five, five-and-a-half-hour trip, how many times in the car did I hear that question? Are we there, Are yet? We there yet? No, we have to wait a little longer. A few miles down the road, are we there yet? No, we're still waiting to get there. Kids sometimes have a hard time waiting, don't they? Or when our family was coming into town, are they here yet? Clearly not, but we have to wait a little longer. How much longer do we have to wait? Waiting. We're in this season where waiting is in front of us all the time. And we might like to just say the kids aren't good at that, but Thursday was Thanksgiving, time when we give thanks for all of God's provision, all of God's bounty, the goodness of God's love in our lives. And then the next day is Black Friday, where we say, we don't quite have enough yet, we're going to go buy more. And now it's the first Sunday of Advent, a couple of days later, and you know what tomorrow is? Cyber Monday. We're in this season of, you know, Black Friday wasn't good enough. Now we just go online and click and get it right away. Neither are we particularly adept at waiting. It is a learned skill, and there's actually a lot there for us. And I, I do think this is maybe one way that the children can lead us. Because one thing that the kids do maybe better than the rest of us is despite being distracted by lots of different things, they always return to the thing they're waiting for. The present that they get to open. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? No, go do something else. Come back. Is it time yet? They keep coming back to the main thing, the main goal, the main focus. Are we there yet? Have the, has our family arrived yet? They'll go play for a little bit, but now we're back focused on the main thing. And we, of course, as adults, we get distracted with lots of stuff. But maybe this Advent, it can be a season, not just of distraction, but of coming back again and again and again to wonder at the Lord who comes to join us, the gift of Christmas, the one who shares his life with us. So what I hope we can do this morning is, um, is turn to the Old Testament, for the most part, and look at a few examples of those who have been really good at waiting. You, in fact, you could just take the whole Old Testament and say that basically 
This is the story of the world and of Israel waiting on God, waiting on Christ, the whole Old Testament. So we're in Isaiah today. We're in Psalms today. It's representative text that can help us learn to wait, to focus again and again and again, to be recalled to the main thing, which is God. And so as we take a look, uh, let's just start with a big frame. Let's, let's begin with the world. Because the world is waiting. This Advent, in this in-between time, in-between Christ's first coming and His final coming, the world too waits. There's probably a passage from Scripture that most of you know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The world, whether they know it or not, wait for this one, the Creator who enters into the creation, the author of all things, entering into His work and participating within it and leading us to Himself. The whole world waits for God. Uh, but the way that the Scripture tells the story is it's a series of, of narrowing down and narrowing down this kind of waiting. And so we look at Abraham's story. Abraham is the one who was elected, called forth from the world as representative of it, and through whom then God promises to bless the world. He says, out of your family, all the families of the world will be blessed. Of course, Abraham, that ancestor of Jesus. The world longs for, uh, for God. Abraham's story helps us to see how the biblical story tells about this in the Old Testament. And the New Testament example that we're given, or passage maybe, comes from Romans, which says that the entire creation groans with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. The whole world groans with eager longing, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. The sons of God being those who participate in the life of Jesus, the Son, in such a way that now God's kingdom comes and enters into all the world. We find our rightful place in the ordering and the structure of all things so that we're not all just running around trying to craft a world after our own image. But we find our place in the world which comes down from God and in which we participate and live. I don't want you at the onset to miss, as we think about the world waiting, that the creation itself groans. There's an element of suffering involved there. There's an element of recognition that the world is not perfect, that things aren't completely right, that the fullness of the kingdom which Christ has inaugurated has not come in the fullness of its consummation. Because there can be, maybe you're a stranger to this, there can be a bit of pressure this time of year to make sure that Christmas just goes perfectly. That you pick the perfect gift. That you have the perfect gathering. That everything goes just exactly right when your family shows up. That every little piece of the puzzle fits and you want it to be absolutely just right. But if we're to learn to wait in the way that the the Bible opens up for us and invites us to wait, we're also going to need to recognize that this too is a time for 
lament. It is a time for a particular kind of grief. It is a waiting that recognizes that what we long for is the fullness of what God has planned for us and that it's not here yet. Everything doesn't have to go perfect for you this Christmas or for your family or for those you love or for our church. Frankly, I would have loved if every member of our church was here on the first Sunday of Advent. That's a little low today, right? But things don't have to go how I envision them, do they? We can long for a fullness of what God has for us. And we can name those places where things are not yet in our own lives and the world around us as they should be. If you struggle with what to name, just watch the news for an hour or go to like a sort of angry blog on the internet and you'll find plenty, right? You can probably identify a few places in your heart that are not yet as they should be as well. As we learn to wait, let us wait and not be afraid of lament. We wait with the world. But we also wait with Israel. Israel, God's people, um, as articulated for us this morning by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, who has this vision of things when eventually, one day, the mountain of the, that is the house of the Lord will be lifted up higher than all other mountains. All other places and everyone will stream to the mountain of the Lord to learn the law of the Lord and to live within it. This is Israel's particular purpose, is to be that people who consistently turn and live by the law of the Lord, and yet never doing so are called to repentance, to turn back, to refocus. But eventually they see that day, Isaiah sees the day when the mountain of the Lord will be lifted up as the highest thing. The kingdom, the palace of the king, the temple of the living God, the highest place. Now, of course, we look around in our lives and we see all kinds of different Things clamoring for our attention. All kinds of different places, mountains that rise up. Good things, some of them. Bad things, others. But we all have different things that we're looking at. Different peaks that draw our mind and our life. But one day, Isaiah says, one day the mountain of the Lord will be raised up to be the highest one. And all those other either distractions or the things that we attend to will find their rightful place beneath that so that they fit neatly in the way that God has organized and ordered our life together. We wait, like Isaiah, for that day and for that moment. We wait, like Abraham, because in that day all the families of the earth will be blessed. We wait like David, to whom it was promised that one of his descendants would come and sit upon the throne of God and rule forever. Christ, right? Who will sit upon the throne in the house and the mountain of the Lord that is raised up to the highest place. The kingdom in all its fullness and glory is a picture of heaven. We wait for these things. We wait with the world, with lament, but we also wait with Israel because we know the one who comes. And within Israel's story, then, there are also people, particular people, who help us to understand how to wait as, as individuals. There's Zechariah and Elizabeth. There's Simeon. There's Anna. There's Mary. You remember their stories. They're all found in the early parts of the gospel narrative. Representatives within Israel who are waiting, who are longing for that day. As Israel has longed and waited for the reign of the Lord to come, 
uh, as the Assyrians led them into exile, as Babylon led them into exile, as Persia sent them back but still ruled over them, as Rome ruled over them, waiting for this kingdom, this, this Messiah who would be raised up so that all things would find their rightful place in the world. They've waited. And now we see people within that waiting in their own particular lives how this takes shape. Zechariah is the first that we might look at. Zechariah, who was the priest. Zechariah, whose task it was on this particular year, out of all the others, to go into the Holy of Holies in that moment. He'd been waiting for this day all year. He'd been waiting. He was probably waiting with a bit of trepidation as they tied, likely, the, the rope around his leg, as was the custom, before he goes into the Holy of Holies in case he enters in and is not prepared and encounters the Lord's holiness in a way that brings death to him. He's a bit nervous about that, I would assume. He's been waiting, maybe waiting on pins and needles. And he takes a deep breath and he enters into the Holy of Holies, hoping that they don't have to pull him out by the rope, but that he can walk out on his own. But in the Holy of Holies, he does encounter God. God speaks to him in a particular way and he says, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, your wife, who are older in years and have had no children, are going to have a child. And he is going to be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the king who will sit upon that throne, the one that you have been waiting for, the one that the world has been waiting for for centuries beyond measure. This one is here, and your son will be the one to smooth his way and to announce his entrance. And Zechariah, even in that place, in something of a moment of doubt, says, how's that going to happen? And the Lord says, you're going to have to wait to tell others about it. Because until the child is born, you will no longer be able to speak. So he walks out of the Holy of Holies. People begin asking him questions. And no words come from his lips. Until the child is born and his name is given, it is John. And his tongue is loosed. And he speaks again, and he praises God. The one he's waited for has arrived. And he will pave the way for the one that we all have waited for. Zechariah, if he's going to help us, you know, the world helps us wait with lament. Israel helps us to wait with knowledge of the one who is to come. Zechariah helps us to wait in faith. In doubt that wrestles with faith. And perhaps even helps us to wait in silence in our own ways before God. But of course there's also Elizabeth, his wife. Elizabeth, as she is pregnant, goes, oh, she's at home, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to visit her, also pregnant with Christ. And when Elizabeth and Mary come together, John leaps in his mother's womb, and Elizabeth says, Who am I? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. And Elizabeth helps us to wait with all. Who are we that God would come to us to want to make his home in us? Who, who are we? Maybe we can wait in awe and in wonder. Or maybe like John himself, we can, we can wait with celebration, turning flips, right? As, as Christ draws near. How do we wait with lament and sorrow? at the state of the world, but also in knowledge of who God is as He's elected Israel and 
written a story into the way of this world. We wait with Zechariah with faith and doubt struggling together and in silence before the Lord with Elizabeth in awe and wonder with John in celebration. But we can also wait with Simeon. You remember the story of Simeon who was there at the temple. Now Simeon was an old, old, old man. Be careful. <laughs> that was three olds. And he hadn't just been waiting to open a package as the other people around the room wait to open the package. He wasn't just waiting for a few weeks in Advent to practice learning how to wait for the Lord. He had been waiting his entire life. Could you wait that long? Could you wait your entire life? See, he was waiting because an angel of the Lord had come to him as well and told him that he would not see death until he met the Christ, the Messiah, who was promised to come, that he would not see death. And so when Simeon, there in the temple, <laughs> encounters the one that he had been waiting for his entire life, he praised God and said, Now your servant may depart in peace. The nunc dimitis, I think, is the one that comes, the prayer that comes from him. He can depart in peace. Now, in some way, in waiting for the Christ, he was also awaiting his own death, wasn't he? Those two were caught up together. That when he met the Christ, there was some sense in which he must also die. Now, most of us don't wait for our deaths in peace, necessarily. They cause us discomfort and some trepidation and worry. Me as well, if I stop to think about it. But here is one who waits, who waits for the Lord and rejoices when he encounters him and enters into the knowledge of his own coming death with peace because he's met the one who promises also his life. We wait with Simeon, but we also wait with one more who sits there in the temple, Anna, the prophetess. I have an Anna at home. And the Anna in the scriptures is one whose life is marked by prayer. It says that she prayed day and night and day and night. If Zechariah helps us to wait for the Lord with rejoicing and with peace and with perseverance that might last our whole life, Anna helps us to wait prayerfully. She shows us that to wait on the Lord is to wait prayerfully and also reveals to us in a sort of a hidden way, a secret way, that when we pray, we can also encounter right here and now the God who comes to us at the end of time. We can encounter right here and now in the, in the silence perhaps of our prayers and of our worship at the temple on the Lord's day, the same God whom we shall one day meet and see face to face. And the interesting thing about Anna is out of all the other characters that we read about in the infancy narratives in those early days of Christ, she is the only one who recognizes Jesus without an angel first telling her who he is. She sees him and knows him. 
And the secret revealed is that this is the one she has met in her prayers. Could you wait in such a way that when you meet the Lord, it is like meeting the one who has spoken to you day after day, night after day, your whole life long? The one that you've worshipped and bowed before? Could you wait like that? Could you wait maybe eventually in a cumulative way like Mary? who is the epitome of all of our waiting, who in her own way is the daughter of Israel and so gathers up all Israel into herself, who is the one who represents the world. Every human being is, is there. And Mary, you can find yourself in her, the one who waits with humility and with an eagerness to serve her Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. I am the servant of the Lord, who waits most of all with love. Waiting isn't the easiest thing in the world to do, but there's good waiting and there's bad waiting. And maybe as the children remind us this Advent, you can wait in a way that is always coming back. When you find yourself distracted, return again. Return again and again and again and again to the one you wait for, to Christ. Wait with longing and with groaning. Wait in knowledge of the promises of the one who says he will show up for you. Wait like Zechariah in faith and Elizabeth with awe and wonder. Wait with John as he celebrates and Simeon as he departs in peace and Anna as she prays and is steadfast in that prayer. Wait with Mary in humility and obedience and love. The challenge I have to give to you this morning is to maybe begin in this season of waiting to carve out some particular moments so that you can wait in all those ways, cultivating awe and wonder, cultivating prayer, cultivating love and hope and faith, cultivating these things as you wait in the pickup line as you pick up, as you wait, as you wait to pick up your child from school. Or maybe as you're sitting in class waiting on the bell to ring. <laughs> maybe wait for the Lord as you sit over your cup of coffee in the morning. Or maybe as you wait for the coffee maker to produce it. Wait as you pull the covers up in the darkness of that night. and Take a deep breath and settle in and wait for sleep to come. Find some moments where you already recognize that you're waiting. But don't allow yourself to be distracted by the, all the other mountains that rise up and clamor for your attention. But wait with your eyes set on the mountain of the Lord. And maybe one thing you could do in that moment is pray that central part of Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. More than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. My soul waits. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.